Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's summer, and this year especially, everyone is looking for a reason to get out of the house. Well, here's a great one, the Honda Summer Clearance Event. Right now, get APR financing as low as 0.9%, plus our lowest prices of the year on remaining new 2019 and 2020 Hondas. And if you can't or don't want to come to our dealership, no problem. We'll bring our dealership to you with CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. Just visit cmacars.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and tell us where you want your car delivered. Do as much or as little of the buying process as you want. It's entirely up to you. If you'd like to do it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we'll walk you through it. If you have any questions, we're always here to help. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Visit CMA's Colonial Honda.com on select models with approved credit through 831 2020. Looking for a top tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit coastal.edu and learn more about the coastal commitment to student learning and student led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Hear ye, it's time for the Sports King Show, live on Sports 106.1, the show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. And good morning, everybody. Monday morning. Hope you had a great weekend. It was an eventful weekend on the sports front. So much to get to. Our friend Mike Neville joining us in hour two today. That's coming up, but we want to recap the weekend that was. And in this weekend that was... I find myself more confused than ever before. Case in point, the NFL. The NFL has cleared all individuals who tested positive over the weekend for the coronavirus following what its testing partner called a, quote, isolated contamination during test preparation, end quote. All the original test results have been classified as as false positives. 11 teams overall were affected by the mistake, with sources telling ESPN that a total of 77 individuals had positive tests, which is a disaster, leading to some anxious moments and altered Sunday practice schedules, but ultimately no evidence of an outbreak was there. Buffalo's Bill, Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen was among those who had an initial test that resulted in a false positive 
forcing him to miss the team's Sunday practice. This according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. According to the sources, the NFL tested the original 77 samples, all of which had been processed at the same bioreference lab in New Jersey. All the results came back negative. The league also conducted a quicker point-of-care test on Sunday, and all of the 77 tests were also negative. According to training camp protocol agreed upon by the NFL and the NFL Players Association, the 77 individual players, coaches, and some staff members can resume their normal activities today. BioReference, which the NFL hired to conduct all of its COVID-19 testing, uses five labs overall around the country to process the league's daily tests. The New Jersey lab was the only one to produce false positives over the weekend. In a statement Monday morning, BioReference said on August 22nd, BioReference Laboratories reported an elevated number of positive COVID-19 PCR test results for NFL players and personnel at multiple clubs. The NFL immediately took necessary actions to ensure the safety of the players and personnel. Our investigation indicated there were most likely false positive results caused by an isolated contamination during test preparation in New Jersey's laboratory. Reagents, analyzers, and staff were all ruled out as possible causes, and subsequent tests indicated that the issue has been resolved. All individuals impacted have been confirmed negative and informed. Confused? Me too. Three of the hardest-hit teams over the weekend were the Minnesota Vikings, who had 12 individual pro, uh, test overall false positive tests, New York Jets 10, and the Chicago Bears 9. Those numbers created immediate alarms across the NFL, which had produced a low infection rate during the first month of training camp. As of Monday morning, only three players remain on the COVID-19 list, which is great news. The episode is likely to influence discussions between the NFL and NFLPA who are working to finalize regular season testing protocols. The sides must decide whether to continue daily testing, which expires September 5th, and also create a policy for weeding out false positives when determining eligibility for games. During training camp, all positive tests are followed by two additional tests over a 24-hour period. If both of those tests come back negative, the original test is classified as a false positive. See, these are the things that you have to worry about, and I know we're working through this, and it's very fluid, but a situation here when you're sitting there worrying about, hey, you've got to sit this out. Now, let's say this had been, and we'll just throw this for a hypothetical, a Saturday night. And there's so many ramifications. Let's say, hypothetically, you put $50,000 on the Indianapolis Colts to win a ball game. Let's just throw that out there. And the starting couple guards in a center or something for the offensive line were deemed to be not able to play. you got to put backups in there. They never played in a regular season game. Can you see where I'm going with this? Because these kind of false positives situation could really – had big ramifications had it been a different time. I'm hoping that they get this situation worked out and work out the bugs now before the season starts and have real, real nasty repercussions that could affect a lot of people, not only financially, but in the win-loss column, which is most important to fans and owners and coaches and players. So they've got to get their hands around this in terms of what are they going to do to make sure that these kind of mistakes don't occur, which we hope will be a thing of the past soon, but we don't know for sure. So those are the situations right there in terms of what's happening right now on the front with the NFL and their false positives. 
It was a busy weekend in terms of news on the NFL front. This one really stuck out at me. The Baltimore Ravens have released, and I mean they released this guy so fast his head spun, safety Earl Thomas, the Pro Bowl safety formerly of the Legion of Boom, the Seattle Seahawks, two days after an on-field altercation with teammate Chuck Clark. Now here's the deal. As a former coach, I love fire. I love fire. I love intensity. I love intensity. I love big hitters. I love guys that on occasion will talk a little bit and back it up, get their teammates fired up. I love it in the passion and flow of the game. But there's a difference between passion and stupidity. And there is a thin line there you can't cross. Earl Thomas crossed the line and he's gone from Baltimore. John Harbaugh is a guy that has a lot of patience. And he's a guy that's a player's coach. For him to basically draw the line in the sand and get rid of Earl Thomas says all you need to know about the situation. What happened? Sources say during a practice, Earl Thomas hauled off and punches his teammate, Chuck Clark. His contract has now been terminated for personal conduct that has adversely affected the team. The Ravens are expected to try to avoid his $10 million guaranteed salary this season. It is expected the safety will file a grievance. So, Thomas posted on his Instagram uh, 21 minutes after the Ravens officially announced his release. He said, appreciate the Ravens organization for the opportunity. Had a great run. Wish things would have ended different, but you live and learn. Thank you, Ravens GM Eric DaCosta and everyone else who played a role in bringing me to be more. Wish you guys the best. I was disappointed with that. He should have gone deeper. He should have said more. Uh, basically, Thomas, 31, was sent home Friday and has not returned to the Ravens facility after his on-field altercation with teammate Clark, a fellow defensive back. This was the second fiery exchange with a teammate for Thomas, who also confronted nose tackle Brandon Williams after a loss to Cleveland 11 months ago. Thomas also missed or was late to several meetings throughout his 17 months in Baltimore, a source added. What I would do? I love Earl Thomas as a player. I love his intensity. He's an undersized guy. You get the most out of this guy. But if I'm coaching Earl Thomas, the first thing I do, if he comes to my organization right now, he's looking at several places, one of them, the Dallas Cowboys. I say, hey, Earl, come with me for a minute. He'll say, where are we going, coach? I say, we're going out in front of the building. And we'll go out in front of the building, and I'll say, Earl, what does it say up there? And let's say he goes to Dallas. He would say, that says Dallas Cowboys. And I would say, you're exactly right, Earl. It does, doesn't it? What's Dallas Cowboys mean to you? It's it's a football team. It's an organization. You're exactly right, Earl. You know what it doesn't say up there, Earl? Do you see a BK up there? Does this say Burger King? He'll say, no, coach, it doesn't. I say, that's right, Earl. I just want to be on the same page with you because at here, you can't have it your way. This isn't Burger King. This is the Dallas Cowboys or the Ravens or wherever he's going to play. You need to play and perform and conduct yourself within the organizational rules and guidelines. It's okay to have a discussion with a teammate. It's okay to be angry at a teammate. It's okay to yell at a teammate. Just like in marriages, people yell at their spouse or the girlfriends or the boyfriend. It happens. Their ups and downs of life happen. We know this. 
But what doesn't happen is you don't slug a guy that you're going to war with, in essence, every Sunday, a guy that's got your back, a guy you have to count on, a guy you have to work with. Not only is it a bad look, it's a horrific look, because on defense you have to be one unit. You have to get along with the teammates you have on the offensive and defensive side of the football. The great ones know that. Earl Thomas still doesn't know that. At the Legion of Boom, they knew that. For some reason now, he's gone and become a renegade, if you will, and he says, you know, hey, thanks for the organization. Thank you so much. Hope everything goes well. Wish you guys the best. On to the next deal. Because if he gets another deal, there should be all kinds of red flags and somebody needs to sit down with this talented guy and say, listen, it ain't going to fly here, my friend. You're not coming in with your own agenda. If you don't want to do it our way, you're going to be out of the league. How long will it take till these guys start to realize that playing in the National Football League or playing professional sports is a privilege? It's not a right. He wasn't born into this. It's not given to you, Earl. You gotta be of great uh, from a standpoint of attitude of gratitude. You gotta be gracious. You have to understand this is a privilege. Yeah, you're a great player, but guess what? If you don't play another down. The brand and the shield will continue without Earl Thomas. There is no player above the league. And sometimes these guys fail to realize it. They think, hey, you know, I can do what I want. I'm a great player. I'm a pro bowler. Got a Super Bowl or so, and I'm this guy, so I can do what I want. I'm going to call it my way. Well, that's not the way it's done. Punching your teammate, calling another teammate out, things like that. If you want to do that in-house and take a guy to dinner and sit down and say, look, man, I don't like the way you did this. I don't like the way you did this. You may not like the way I do this, but I'm going to come at you and talk to you and work through this because we're teammates. We're trying to get to the Super Bowl. We're trying to accomplish something together, and you have to be on the same page as me. We have to move forward on this, and we have to be teammates unified, and let's get through this. Now, I didn't like the way you did this on Tuesday. I didn't like the way you did this on Wednesday, and there's some things about the way you're doing things I don't like. And he may say, well, there's a couple things I don't like about you. Well, let's work through it and let's come to a compromise. Let's fix this. Turning around and slugging a guy in a practice setting on your team defensively that you're working to try to stop the opposition, instead of talking or working through it, you're going to go ahead because somebody takes you off, you're going to punch him. Don't get me wrong. I know it's hot out there. I know these are unique circumstances, but you don't lose your cool to punch a teammate. Now, this is where... You have to understand with John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh appears to me, and from all the folks I know that know him, one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. A player's coach through and through. A guy that's going to overlook a lot. But here, he's not overlooking. He's not going to overlook this. Baltimore is a team that has been successful because of the team. No one guy is better than the team. So I know when you take a John Harbaugh, who's a player's coach, and he says, you know what? We're moving forward, all eyes ahead. As great as Earl Thomas is, as I said, it's not Burger King. He's not going to have it his way. It's got to be the Ravens' way. The Ravens have done it long before he got there. They'll do it long after they got there. No players bigger than the league. So in Earl Thomas's case, get your suitcase, get your stuff, get out of here. When you start slugging your own teammates, that's the end of the road for you, my friend. And I hope whoever decides to sign him, and somebody's going to sign the guy, that's the arrogance of Earl Thomas saying, you know, you know, hey, good luck to you, Baltimore. I'm going to go to the next stop. The next stop needs to really sit this young man down and say, as great a player as you are, and maybe think you are, 
this team and the mission of the team is above Earl Thomas. Hi, sports fans. This is National High School recruiting football expert Tom Lemming. You may have seen me in the movie The Blind Side. You are listening to a guy I've given the five-star rating to. It's Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Sports King Nation, want to take part in the show? Here's your chance to call the studio line. 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. And welcome back Monday morning. Sorry for that technical glitch, but we're back. 100% 100% ready to roll here on this Monday morning. I want to finish up with my conversation about the situation with the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens wanted to split from Earl Thomas so badly over the weekend that they're willing to take a major financial hit and move forward without a proven replacement for him. The Ravens will take a $15 million salary cap hit for releasing him unless they're able to avoid his $10 million guaranteed salary this season for conduct detrimental to the team. If the Ravens can't avoid paying him the guaranteed money, Thomas will still count $5 million against the cap this season and $10 million next year for a guy that won't even be in Charm City. Without Thomas, the Ravens are inexperienced at free safety at best. Deshaun Elliott, a 2018 six-round pick, is expected to step in for Thomas for now. The Ravens like his aggressiveness and upside, but Elliott has been limited to six games and two NFL seasons because of nagging injuries. And Harbaugh said afterwards, it's his time, so here we go. This marks the second tumultuous divorce for Thomas. Things are getting worse for this guy. He had nine years in Seattle. And if you remember what happened with him in Seattle, being carted off the field, he extended a number one symbol to former coach, uh, his former coach, Pete Carroll. When I say number one, let's look at the middle aspect of that finger. While being carted off the field with a leg injury, you do that, Real classy for a guy that you played and won a Super Bowl with. You're going to flip him off on a national televised audience. That's when I started to say this guy is over the top. It's okay if you don't like Pete Carroll. It's okay if you don't like the coaching staff. But do that internally. Talk to them. Do those type of things. Trying to humiliate a coach on national television. Not a good look. A little over a year ago, uh, the Ravens were lauded for uh, bringing Thomas in from his ver- verbal agreement with the Kansas City Chiefs and signing him to a $55 million deal, the largest given to defensive player in franchise history. So Thomas has reached the Pro Bowl in his first and only season in Baltimore, but he has struggled at times. He gave up an 88-yard touchdown run by Cleveland Browns running back Nick Chubb in Week 4, and he got stiff-armed by Derek uh, Henry of the Tennessee Titans, one of many guys in the playoffs, if you remember that. The breaking point came this past Friday in the team's fourth training camp practice of the year, Thomas blew a coverage, and of course, uh, his teammate, who he got the uh, major tiff with, Chuck Clark, called him out on it, and basically they had words. Next thing you know, Clark ripped off his helmet, threw it to the ground. Thomas then punched Clark. Both players were separated by teammates and coaches alike. It is very unusual for two players in the same position group to fight. Let me repeat that. Defensive players are there to stop the offense. It's okay to... Uh, of course, talk about it and work through it. If you blow coverage, it's going to happen. If you don't get the call right, it's going to happen. Intensity should happen, but punching your teammates should never happen. If it's me, if I'm John Harbaugh, Harbaugh, I'm the same way. I can't get this guy out of there quick enough. Now, if it had been, as I said earlier, an inner squad scrimmage 
and you have the offense and defense fighting each other, hey, that's all well and good because that's a competitive flow and you want to see some fire from your team. Sometimes coaches even love to see it because it shows some fire in their bellies, and sometimes when you have a practice not going well, you like to see some emotion. And sometimes you want to break it up as quick as you can. You just want to make sure that they are playing on all cylinders and there's some fire in their belly. Punching a fellow teammate on your own defensive uh, staff uh, is just uncalled for and something that we hope will uh, he'll learn for um, the future. And, and hopefully uh, if he goes to the Cowboys, which is one of the landing spots, I don't know how that's going to work. But I do know that somebody needs to get control of this guy and say, hey, if you're going to go to another team, you better change the way you run and conduct yourself or you're not going to have a very long career indeed in the NFL because you're not bigger than the league. The Baltimore Ravens, speaking to them, uh, quarterback Lamar Jackson is dealing with a groin injury. The situation there, he's the NFL MVP. He has missed two training camp practices because of a groin injury. He's returning to practice today. After Sunday's practice, John Harbaugh described Jackson's injury as a soft tissue one, but would not explain anywhere beyond that. He said his training camp, we're getting close to the season. We're not talking about injuries too much. The Ravens open up the regular season in three weeks when they host the Cleveland Browns. Robert Griffin III, we remember him, filled in for Jackson over the weekend. The Ravens initially gave another reason for Jackson's absence when he surprisingly didn't uh, practice on Saturday. Assistant head coach David Culley said Jackson was getting a day off to rest his arm. So some issues there in Baltimore, Charm City, having some problems. So they're a situation that uh, we'll keep our eye on with Earl Thomas. Is he going to end up in Dallas? Will he go out to play for John Gruden? Uh, it remains to be seen. We know he's not going back to Seattle, so that's one that's off the board altogether. So that's a situation there. So we talked about some of the situation with uh, the weekend as far as the NFL goes. You've got the false positives. You've got the big blowout to, uh, with uh, Earl Thomas and that situation there. Uh, another situation out of the nation's capital, the Washington football team, cut receiver Cody Latimer, who was facing multiple felony charges after being arrested in May. Latimer was arrested on May 16th after gunshots were reported at an apartment complex in Inglewood, Colorado. Police allege Latimer threatened a friend with a gun and fired his weapon during a poker game. Is it me or is it the Wild Wild West mentality? I've had fun through the years, folks. Uh, you know, as I can remember way back when, when you know, you get together and you have parties and you have fun and do those things. At no time did I ever, during any poker event, pull out a gun and start firing it discriminately into the air and those type of things. I, I don't get it. Anyway, Latimer is facing eight charges, including four felonies, second-degree assault, tampering with physical evidence, and two counts of menacing. Other than that, nothing. Uh, he'd been scheduled to appear in court this past Thursday, but the Washington Post reported his court date has been pushed to September 10th. He was placed on the commissioner's exempt list on July 27th, the day before Washington held its first workout. Multiple sources said along the way that they anticipated Latimer would be released, but the team wanted to let the league investigate the situation before making a final call. Latimer, a second-round pick by Denver in 2014, played the last two seasons with the G-Men. He caught a career 24 passes for 300 yards last season. He also returned 24 kickoffs for 570 yards. Washington had hoped he could help its receiving depth and special teams. But once again, folks, especially in the nation's capital, the DMV, 
if you've run afoul with the law, this is the last destination that should be on your list of teams to go to because this team in Washington, which we still, as the America song says, a horse with no name, the team with no name, you can't come in here with any baggage and say, well, you know, I got pending court dates, you know, I beat my girlfriend up or I used drugs or, you know, I did this, I shot guns off where I should. You can't do that anywhere, but especially here. This team is under such a microscope. If you've got parking tickets, you better start sweating because you never know. There are some big things here in terms of the way the building is changing, and I have people in the building that call me and tell me there are all kinds of changes happening Every day. I mean, major changes. So Ron Rivera, kudos to him. And, of course, he had the cancer diagnosis. We're, we're hoping and praying that he's going to be all good and everything's going to be 100% for him soon. He says he's going about his business as he was before the diagnosis. And now you've got Jack Del Rio waiting on the on-deck circle in case you need him. He's there. So they've got a plan in place. But the one thing you can't do is go into that building with any kind of renegade mentality about doing it your way. Uh, is not going to work with Ron Rivera. He is all about the A-word, accountability. For the first time in a long time, there's accountability in the nation's capital, and Ron Rivera and staff would be commended for that. If you're going to be a knucklehead and a guy that wants to do it his own way, don't look to Washington because it's not going to happen. So that's the situation there. A big weekend in the NBA, and don't Luca now, or you can Luka now, but Luka Doncic, I'm telling you folks, in the NBA, this guy is a superstar already. I mean, he's doing such great things in terms of the NBA. If you saw what he did, and he has just gotten better and better and better as he's gone along, this electric game between the Mavericks and the Clippers, Doncic, what did he do? 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists, a triple-double for this outstanding player. And man, oh man, he hits the game winner at the end of the game. This is how it went down with Luka nailing the victory for the Mavericks. Finney Smith to inbounds. Back to Doncic. Doncic pulls up, three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Doncic wins the game at the buzzer! So Mike Green with a double bang, bang. You know, it's exciting times then. Uh, Lou Williams, 36 points for the Clippers in the loss, 135-133. All tied at two games apiece. This was a chance for the Clippers to really get a stranglehold on this uh, series, but they failed to do so due to the heroics of Luka. Now, Doncic has come back from a, a twisted ankle, a severely twisted ankle, and basically came back on the court, uh, got everything taken care of, and, man, he was looking great afterwards. Here's Luca on the buzzer beater. I can't explain the emotions I had, you know, uh, when not only when you go when the ball goes in, uh, when I see the whole team like running towards me, uh, that was something special. Uh, one of the best feelings I ever had as a player, and it's just something special, man. This team is something special. This guy is special. I mean, he gives you that feeling like you're never out of a game. And he's a superstar in everything he does. He rebounds, he assists, I mean, he gets his teammates involved, he scores. He's got the complete package. And, of course, the Clippers really needed this one. They wanted to put them away, but now they've given new life to the Mavericks. And this Mavericks team 
is a dangerous team with Luca going this way. If they get Porzingis to pour in some numbers and help out and get some frontline help for Luca, he can't do it himself. But this one went to overtime, 135-133 in this one. We want to turn our attention to another series, the Celtics, for the first time ever, defeat the 76ers in a sweep-type situation, 4 to nothing in this game. The Celtics held on 110-106. Uh, big game for the Celtics, of course. Jason Tatum, 28 points, 15 rebounds. The guy has just done some amazing things. Joel Embiid, 30 points, 10 rebounds. And I'm telling you what, Brett Brown, their head coach, I don't see him long here. Of course, Todd Reardon was fired by the Capitals. That was expected by many. Uh, Brett Brown may be in trouble. Of course, getting swept is something the 76ers are not going to be happy about. No Ben Simmons, but nonetheless, they should have done better. It should have been a better series than this. Kemba and Jason Tatum went for 60 points in a sweep, once again, the 76ers. Afterwards, Joel Embiid, not happy, not only with himself, the teammates, and the reporters, as he said uh, to a reporter, that's a stupid question. Let's take a listen to very bitter Joel Embiid after the loss. What do you think the issue is with this team? I mean, do you think it's the way it's built? Do you think it's coaching? Do you think it's... The bad luck with the injuries, all of the above, what would you say the issue is? Because, you know, like Brett may unfortunately that's a, that's take a, the ball. That's a very stupid question. There's no issue. We're good. We just didn't win. No, that's not a stupid question. That was a great question. I thought he was asking the reporter in question, asking about was it the chemistry? Was it the coaching? Could he put his finger on it? And all he was asking was a generic question about a number of categories to try to figure out what is going wrong with Philadelphia. Now he could have come back and said, we lost Ben Simmons to injury. We're missing this. We're missing that. Maybe the, we need a few more pieces. Maybe the coaching isn't what it should be. He could have given an answer, but to call the reporter out and say it's stupid was just something that fell flat to me. And I just didn't like that response. I know he's upset, but it is what it is elsewhere. The team, or we're going to talk to Mike Neville coming up in 11 o'clock hour, the team that he has been watching the Toronto Raptors, of course, without Kyle Lowry, what did they do? They beat the Nets 150-122 to 122. in this game. They go to 4-0 and win the series and sweep the Nets. But in this one, Serge Ibaka for Toronto, 27 points, 15 rebounds. Great game for him. Karis LeVert, a budding superstar for the Brooklyn Nets, 35.6 rebounds. He can't do it himself. It was Raptors' first sweep in franchise history over those Nets. And I'm telling you right now, Mike Neville, who's coming up in 11 o'clock hour, has said it all along. He thinks this is a team that is the most dangerous, the one that he's worried about, and that's the one his Celtics will face next. Nick Nurse, the head coach, received the Coach of the Year award, and rightfully so, 53-19, 27-9 away. The Raptors are a excellent basketball team, and, of course, uh, they are um, absolutely looking to advance and do as much damage as they can. Uh, Kawhi Leonard no longer there. It doesn't matter. This Raptors team has a lot to prove. And to score 150 points without Kyle Lowry in the lineup says all you need to know about their bench. They had uh, tremendous bench play as well. And this is something that is going to be a dangerous uh, mix all the way down the stretch. Finally, the Nuggets and Jazz, and of course the Utah Jazz uh, win a close one, 129-127. In this game, of course, Donovan Mitchell uh, did an excellent job. He and uh, Jamal Murray both had Mitchell at 51, Murray 50. So two players 
with over 50 points. It's rare that that happens, but a great game by those two gentlemen, 129-127. Here is what it sounded like, a Mitchell 3. Of course, uh, for Utah, you don't want to miss this one. Mitchell will get it organized. Shot clock down to four. Mitchell has Millsap on him. He'll pull a three, and he hits a three and returns the stare down. Donovan Mitchell, a clutch three-pointer for the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell, a guy we love here on the Sports King Show, 51 points, 15 out of 27, 38 minutes, 4 of 7 on three-pointers, and, of course, uh, just an absolute dominant performance there for him. And you cannot say enough uh, about this team. This Jazz team has all of the ability to make a run deep in the playoffs. You wonder if they have enough to go that deep, but they still have some young superstars there a team that has played very well, a team that has a great cohesiveness about them. And a lot of people don't get to see them because they're out West, but make no mistake. This is a situation that uh, between Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, they have all the team you need in terms of the two young superstars. And you look on the other side, Paul Millsap disappointing 16 points. Uh, The Joker had 29 uh, but it's a situation when uh, you got two guys going head-to-head like that, trying to outdo each other. Very rarely do you see two guys in a game scoring 50 points. But you had, of course, uh, 51 for the Utah Jazz, 50 for Murray for the uh, Denver Nuggets. So two guys that went head-to-head, but one guy outdid the other, and it's just a stronger, stronger overall team, I feel, for the Jazz, who now go 3-1 in that series. So that's your NBA update. We'll talk to Mike Neville coming up here in just a few minutes at the 11 o'clock hour about his Boston Celtics and what's happening there in terms of that. But uh, we had some other excitement over the weekend, and I wanted to bring in Ben Maitland, of course, our resident, uh, everything with four wheels. He is our expert there. And I want to talk to him about, of course, the weekend that was NASCAR and the weekend that was the Indy 500. And as I bring Ben in, Ben, uh, not a lot of excitement on the – Indy 500 side of things, Takamu um, Sato, of course, wins the second time in uh, the Indy 500. Can you give us your take on that? Of course, under caution, wasn't the great finish we wanted, but still a great win for uh, Sato in this second time doing it. Yeah, good morning to you, Jamie. It was it was an entertaining 500 overall. Uh, Scott Dixon, I, I think I referenced or brought up his name on Friday when we were talking about the the lead into the 500. And, and Scott Dixon really being the one to watch. He has dominated so far in IndyCar this season since they returned to the track in June. Uh, former winner of the 500, won back in 2008, led over 100 laps. I really thought he had the race in hand. Uh, Sato was able to get by him late in the going, and I thought they would kind of trade the lead back and forth um, between himself and Dixon, and, and Scott never really could get back to, to Sato. He always had about a, a four- or five-car length advantage and was able to, to fend him off and, like you said, won his second career Indy 500. Second in the last four seasons, or in the last four runnings of the race, he won back in 2017 also, um, did Takuma Sato. So big for uh, for himself, big for his home country of Japan. Uh, he had the Japanese flag with him in, in victory lane. Um, another victory in that race for Ray Hall Letterman. Of course, Bobby Ray Hall, former IndyCar racer, former winner of the 500, David Letterman. Is, uh, is a part owner of that team and was in attendance and was in victory lane yesterday. So um, a bit of an anticlimactic finish, though, like you said. Sato's teammate, um, Spencer Piggott, uh, 
wrecked, I think, with four or five laps to go and, and really a, a, a vicious accident hit the end of pit wall or the tire barrier at the end of pit wall and I think he had the, the wind knocked out of him, uh, was taken to the hospital for some evaluation and was released, I think, late last night, which was good news. Uh, but a scary accident to end things and they never could get the race restarted. I thought they might red flag it uh, and try to finish under under green, but um, IndyCar doesn't do that all that often. They've only done it a handful of times that I can recall. Um, not not just at Indy, but on the on the rest of the schedule um, itself, as far as finishing a race, or red flagging a race and trying to finish it under green. So it's just one of those things. It's kind of apropos for the year 2020, uh, where you have to wait three months to finally watch the race happen uh, up at Indianapolis and, and see it finish under yellow. But congratulations to Sato. I held off one of the best to, uh, to ever do it in Dixon. I think Dixon became just the second driver going back to 2006 to lead over 100 laps in the 500 and not win the race. So a bit of a disappointing ending for Scott. I think he wanted to see the race red flagged and then see it go back to green. I think he, he felt like he had a chance to maybe get Sato on a restart and win the race, but wasn't to be. Was not to be. And Ben, over the weekend, some great news in terms of inclusiveness. We've been talking about this in all the sports, and it's finally happened. Eric Moses has been named president of Nashville Super Speedway, becoming the first black man to hold that title at any NASCAR track. Moses most recently served as president of XFL's D.C. Defenders and now leads the charge for the scheduled Nashville-Tennessee reboot in 2021. The 1.33-mile concrete track was built in 2001 by Dover Motorsports and hosted NASCAR and IndyCar events until 2011. So this is a great deal for NASCAR, and it's a definite move forward. Let me ask you this over the weekend. Another one-two sweep, if you will, Saturday, Sunday. The H uh, boys, uh, Harvick and Hamlin, did it again. Uh, you saw the seventh victory of the year for Kevin Harvick and Hamlin on Saturday. Your take on those two races, and what are you seeing? It seems like it's a two-horse race all the way through to the end here. Yeah, between those two guys, they've separated themselves. We've talked about this a, a few times on the show just these last few weeks. You saw what Harvick did uh, at Michigan a couple weeks back, sweeping uh, the double hitter when they were up in in Michigan, um, winning both of those races. The last time they had a double hitter, and then you had the double hitter weekend up at Dover in Delaware this past weekend, and it was Hamlin Saturday, and then Harvick yesterday, uh, coming away with with victories in both of those races, and and kind of further separated themselves from the rest of the pack as far as the championship battle is concerned. I, I mean, it's <laughs> it's really. It's kind of newsworthy at this point when one of those two guys doesn't win a race in the Cup Series. Um, if you look at what Harvick did yesterday, he led 223 of 311 laps there at Dover. Uh, there was a caution late with about 20 to go uh, that brought everybody to pit road. Jimmy Johnson tried to pull a little bit of strategy, took two tires to get the lead, but I think in the first, somewhere in the neighborhood of the first lap and a half, Harvick was able to get back by him. That's how strong the four car was yesterday, and he ended up winning by more than three seconds. Um, over Martin Truex Jr. So, uh, again, it's newsworthy right now when, when Denny Hamlin or Kevin Harvick don't win a cup race. We come, we're coming up on the end of the regular season this this weekend, Saturday night down at Daytona, um, which will be kind of a wild card as far as how the rest of the playoff field is set. Um, Daytona is usually unpredictable. You get a lot of surprise winners there at the, uh, the Super Speedway down in Florida. So I wouldn't be surprised to see um, a surprise winner, maybe vaulting their way into the, the playoff field, which is not totally set. There's still three spots up for grabs in those final 16 drivers that'll make it uh, to these last 10 races to fight for the championship. But 
certainly Hamlin and Harvick at the moment. That's the two guys that everyone's got circled going into these last 10 races. Um, the playoff starts at Darlington here in two weeks. Uh, then they'll be up here in Richmond in, in Virginia for the second round of or second race of that first round. Um, it's coming up quick. So I think when by the by the time you get to Phoenix in November, it would be it would be news if if Harvick or Hamlin are not part of that last four, the championship four that will run for the title on November eighth, once they get back out to Arizona. Hey Ben, let me ask you this because you're our expert, of course, on all things motorsports. When you look at these two guys, the dominance they've had do you attribute it to the vehicles, do you, the cars they're in, the teams, the fact that they've adapted better than anybody else amid this COVID-19? Why the, ex, uh, the overall expertise in terms of these two guys just being at the top every week? Is it just their year, or do you see something else underneath the surface that maybe the average folks don't see? I think it's a combination of factors. I, anytime someone hits on um, – or a team hits on something like this or like these two teams seem to have done, I think it's it's not something where you can just um, – you can't just pigeonhole it and say it's just one thing. Both these guys are uber-talented. They are two of the best who have ever done it in the Cup Series. They're both future Hall of Famers, I think, certainly. Um, both with over – now, Harvick, I think, tied Kyle Busch yesterday on the all-time wins list at 56, I think, which is ninth all-time in the Cup Series. Hamlin, I think, is over 40 victories now in the Cup Series. I think it's um, talent on the driver's side, certainly. But both um, Joe Gibbs, where the where Hamlin races at with the 11 team, and then Stuart Haas, where Harvick drives the four car at, I think have, you said it yourself a second ago, have adapted really well post-pandemic. I think they, you know, the limited availability as far as being able to work on the cars during the interim has helped them. Um, I think they were really good before the pandemic hit, and then after the pandemic the um, and coming back from the break, that separation is still there because teams really haven't been able to work on uh, on the cars and on the setups. You're not being able to practice on weekends. You're not qualifying for races. You're just showing up and racing. And I think at the moment they've got the leg up on everyone else uh, from that standpoint. So and it's also communication between crew chief and driver. I think uh, Chris Gabehart with Denny Hamlin, his crew chief, the communication is great there. And then Rodney Childers is Harvick's crew chief. And they've been paired up now for five or six years and have really um, have really clicked and have won a lot of races together. So not just one thing. I think it's a multitude of factors. And what's up with Kyle Busch, a guy that uh, we always talk about his great success, but really he's been kind of an afterthought, really not a guy that's been running up front. Uh, that's been disappointing, I know, for his team. Your thoughts real quick on Kyle Busch? Uh, it was another disappointing, I would say disappointing overall weekend. They were, were pretty fast Saturday. And I want to say finished third. I think they finished third Saturday afternoon. And then yesterday in the first 10 laps, there was a uh, a spin in front of him. And I believe Elliott, Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch kind of came together and and um, ran into each other and kind of damaged both, of the, both cars. Elliott was done for the day after that. And then the 18 was never really the same for the remainder of the race yesterday. And again, that happened in the first 10 laps. So it's it's been performance and then it's been some luck also on the 18 side of things kyle's again uber talented same with as hamlin and harvick but i think not being able to practice on race weekends now and um and not being able to work on the car leading up to race day has been a detriment to that team um they're a team that 
you know, will work on the car during the course of the weekend and always get it better more often than not. So I think that is, has played a factor in them not being as competitive and not winning a race yet. This is the latest he's ever been in a season without winning a cup race, which is very surprising. So he is in the playoff, though. He locked in um, himself yesterday just based on points. So he'll be in the final 16 drivers who will decide the championship. But uh, they've still got to get their arms around it if they really want to be a serious contender in 2020. Absolutely. We're going to take a time out and come back. They've got some hurricanes coming down south. We'll talk about that as the LSU has announced it will close its campus uh, today because of hurricanes on the way. We'll talk about that and much, much more. Plus, Mike Neville joins us in the 11 o'clock hour. All that and more as the Sports King rolls on Monday morning. Hi, this is number five, former Washington Capitals captain Rod Langway. And you are listening to Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. With 19 NCAA Division I sports and 84 majors, Coastal Carolina University affords student-athletes the competition and learning they crave. From FBS football to ladies volleyball, from championship baseball to ladies lacrosse, from business to theater arts, Coastal Carolina University offers a depth of learning both on the field and in the classroom. Eager ambition is a hallmark of students and faculty at Coastal Carolina University. Schedule a tour and learn more at coastal.edu. You're listening to a man whose future is so bright, he's got to wear shades. The Sports King on Sports 106.1. And welcome back, everyone. Hour one, Sports King almost in the books. Before we go, I was just watching some comments from Joel Embiid, the great center for the Philadelphia 76ers, in regards to their head coach, Brett Brown, who I think is gone. Gonzo, after getting swept for the first time ever, the 76ers swept by the Celtics in the Eastern Conference. When asked about the future of Brett Brown, he said, I'm not the GM. I don't make those decisions, but he'll always be a friend. Ah, That's another way of saying parting is such sweet sorrow. Trust me on this one. He'll be gone. It'll probably happen in the next 10 to 14 days, if not sooner. But Brett Brown... After getting swept, I don't see them keeping him there. For some reason, something's missing there. We want to say good morning to LSU head coach Ed Ogeron. Good morning to you, coach. Hope you're doing well today. Go Tigers! Fantastic. We always love hearing from you. LSU has announced it will close the campus Monday because of Hurricane Marco, but a source told ESPN on Sunday that the school's football team is still going to practice. The Advocate reported that all of LSU's fall sports teams are scheduled to practice Monday. Although the athletic department will continue to monitor weather threats, LSU announced Sunday afternoon that all classes and campus activities would be canceled today. Although residence halls and dining facilities will will remain open, the school was set to begin fall semester classes today. The defending national champion LSU Tigers Enter the football season uh, in this week of training camp. LSU is scheduled to open the season September 26th against the Mississippi State in Baton Rouge. The school is also monitoring Tropical Storm Laura. It's going to be hit a double hit here, which is following Hurricane Marco. And will announce campus plans for Tuesday on Monday afternoon. According to the National Weather Service, Hurricane Marco is expected to reach the Louisiana coast later uh, this afternoon. So that's the situation there. And overall, there was something else over the weekend that I wanted to go over, and that was Lane Kiffin, a guy that I'm not very fond of in terms of coaching, but 
he had something, and we'll get into this with Mike Neville as the 11 o'clock hour rolls on momentarily. Uh, Lane Kiffin, who, of course, the great humanitarian that he is, he says that he wants players to be able to transfer the ones with the postponed seasons. Of course, several of the leagues have said we're not going to play due to concerns of the coronavirus. Kiffin, during an appearance on the SEC Network on Tuesday of last week, said it's a shame players aren't able to transfer, and he feels they should be able to transfer without any penalty to them uh, for this year for the teams that can't play in conference. Kids are having their schools or their conferences deciding to shut down so they can't play. A lot of them have a lot of money on the line with the next level, or they just want to play their last year, Kiffin said. So it's really unfortunate the NCAA is not allowing them to transfer and be eligible immediately. We're being told that uh, this won't happen, and it's a waiver process, so I feel really bad for those kids. It's not their fault. Why can't they come play somewhere? That doesn't make any sense to me. Why can't they come play somewhere? Hey, Lane. You're not talking about the old Miss Rebels, are you? You wouldn't take any of those kids from Ohio State or Michigan on your team, would you? Nah, that couldn't be. Nah, not a chance. Don't see it happening. But Lane is saying, hey, maybe you should. Because I love kids and I want to do what's best for the kids. Come on, Lane. Come on, man. We all know better. We know what this is. You're going to sit there and pick that carcass clean, my friend. If there's a way to get those guys to Ole Miss, it's not about the kids. It's about Ole Miss. We'll be right back on the Sports King, Mike Neville, and more after these messages. Hi, this is number 65, defensive tackle Dave Butts, two-time Super Bowl champion of the Washington Redskins. And you are listening to the Sports King Show with host Jamie King on Sports 106.1. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's summer, and this year especially, everyone is looking for a reason to get out of the house. Well, here's a great one, the Honda Summer Clearance Event. Right now, get APR financing as low as 0.9%, plus our lowest prices of the year on remaining new 2019 and 2020 Hondas. And if you can't or don't want to come to our dealership, no problem. We'll bring our dealership to you with CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. Just visit cmacars.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and tell us where you want your car delivered. Do as much or as little of the buying process as you want. It's entirely up to you. If you'd like to do it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we'll walk you through it. If you have any questions, we're always here to help. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Visit CMA's Colonial Honda.com. On select models with approved credit through 831 2020. Let's get back to the guy who said, Where there's a will, there's a relative. Oh, you're listening to Sports King right here on Sports 1061. Welcome back, Monday morning on the Sports King Show. And we're expecting Mike Neville to join us shortly. And uh, as I was going to break, the Ole Miss Rebels head coach, Lane Kiffin, a guy that's uh, been known to, let's say, color outside the circles a little bit, has basically said, hey, if the Big Ten or any of the Pac-12 members want to come play for me, I don't see why that should be any problem. We want to do it for the kids. What's your take on this? 804-327-0888. 804-327-0888. Very funny, Lane. 
a guy that wants, of course, everything for himself, he doesn't, in my opinion, care about the kids and what's best for the kids. It's all about what's best for Lane. And, of course, his history kind of shows you all you need to show about the guy that has kind of been, uh, as I said, a guy not afraid to color outside the circle, if you will. I did want to go over some comments, and we'd love to hear from you today on this Monday morning, 804-327-0888. We want to let you know that the Detroit Lions' Reggie Raglan, he went on record last week saying that, of course, he and his new teammates that they have the same qualities as the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Reggie, 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 my friend. Um, He likes his new teammates, and it's okay to say great things about your teammates. And maybe in terms of the qualities, maybe they have the same parking facility or maybe they have a similar locker room setup or something like that. But for him to say we see the same qualities in the team as Kansas City, maybe it's personalities or something, but not players. I mean, this guy's a veteran. He's got championship experience. He's a great run stopper. But to say that there's any type of comparison between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Detroit Lions, I don't get it. Literally, I don't get it. Uh, The Chiefs are so far ahead of this group. And I'm going to tell you right now, which I've gone on record, not a fan of Matt Patricia, the Lions under Patricia, I think it's an exercise in futility. I see this ending very badly. I see a guy that is a coordinator trying to play the role and, once again, play the role of a head coach. Matt Patricia isn't a guy that inspires. Yes, he can be a coordinator. Yes, we saw what he could do with Bill Belichick, who is a head coach. But it has not transferred. As we talked about, just because you're a great assistant doesn't always mean you're going to be a great head coach. And this is a case in point with Matt Patricia, just not a guy that has done what we expected or thought he might have done as a head coach. He's just not going to do it in Detroit. It's a waste of time. So that's what's happening there. Other NFL news to speak of, of course, Tom Brenneman, of course, who uttered a, a, a used an anti-gay slur and was basically uh, cut from Cincinnati Reds broadcast. The NFL has now said, no can do. He faces an uncertain future, and we'll keep on top of that as well, a situation that should have never happened, but it did, and now Brenneman is doing the apology tour, but we just don't know if the NFL is going to give him a second chance or not because of what happens there. So that's the situation as far as that goes. Getting back to the NFL, these false positive tests are really concerning to me. That was our head uh, top story at the start of the program today. Of course, the NFL is worried now that they need to get this right because the NFL has had a smooth summer in terms of the COVID-19. It's been very quiet on the Western front. We've hoped that it's going to stay quiet. There were no NFL outbreaks. The fire alarm was pulled, but it was a false alarm. Of course, the reality check for the NFL with the initial diagnosis of dozens of COVID-19 tests indicating positive tests that apparently were negative. This came over the weekend. They went through everything. The multitude of apparent false positives could be traced to a single bioreference laboratory in New Jersey 
which provided the clue. The league used about a half dozen labs to report the test for 32 teams, and none of the other labs reported any dramatic spikes. See, here's a problem for me. I don't want a half dozen labs processing the tests of the 32 teams. There should be one uniform group doing this, or two maximum, depend on a go-through. I know that because of the diversity of teams out there and the spaces that they're at, they're trying to mix it up, but you know, you're going to have issues and more issues happen with this. And this is where problems can occur in terms of the testing in the statement. The NFL declared that it's working with bioreference and launching an immediate investigation. You better get it right now because you don't have any preseason games to speak of. You're getting ready to get into league play. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Had this been a situation where the NFL, let's say on a Saturday night, all of these 77 players with the false positives would have been held out of play. Can you imagine the product you would have seen on a football Sunday? It would have been a disaster. You're talking about key players that would have been held out. Josh Allen was one of them. Since training camps opened, the league is an estimated 150,000 tests conducted on players, coaches, and staff with such an overwhelming amount of negative results that the number of players league-wide placed on COVID-19 reserve list has dwindled to single digits. That's a great number. But imagine if the rash of false positives over the weekend came three Sundays later, as in September 13th, like I just talked about. Uh, The NFL's protocols, they've got to get this right because when you look at it, you had guys like Matthew Stafford, The Lions quarterback had a false positive that underscored the need for revising the protocols to add additional layers and confirming positives in individuals showing no symptoms of the novel coronavirus. Days after the Stafford episode, the league required two confirming tests for positive cases within 24 hours, including a point-of-care test to be analyzed on site. So these are some major issues that they have to work through and some people are calling it a fire drill, nothing to really worry about, but there's plenty beneath the surface to worry about. They've got to get this right. You can't swing and miss, Roger Goodell. You can't have false positives, or you're going to have absolute uh, absolute mistakes after mistakes on a Sunday leading into a ball game. If this happened Saturday night, it would be disastrous for fans everywhere, for teams, for coaches, et cetera, because you're going into a game plan. You have to understand from a coaching standpoint, You've got your first 15 to 25 plays scripted. You know who's going to be in there. You know everything. It's going to be this way, and we're going to go out, and this is what we're going to do. Now, if you go into the stadium on Sunday morning and a medical official pulls you aside, hey, coach, uh, we got about uh, 14 players here that have tested uh, positive that we have determined, so you're going to have to basically pull everybody out, and now you're going to have to cobble together an offensive and defensive lineup that can basically – do something positive out there on the field. So do you see where I'm coming from? This is why this isn't a situation where they hope to get it right. They have to get it right. Because if you miss on this deal, it could cost you in so many ways because of the fact that you're going to put a product out there that you're unsure of because you don't know day to day unless they get a handle on the false positives. Now, my biggest concern with the NFL is this, and this is something that give the guys credit so far, Nobody has colored outside the circles, but the players are basically right now in training camp mode. When they get done the training camp practice, they're showering and then going home. 
They have to leave the bubble. It's not an NBA bubble. It's not an NHL bubble. It's a situation where they're being trusted to go home, stay with the people that are at at home, and not go outside anywhere they shouldn't go. So far, miraculously, it has worked to almost perfection with very low-digit numbers of players getting affected. But that's my biggest worry is what is going to happen with the players that continue to go home or maybe start feeling really good about themselves and then say, hey, I want to go to the club or, hey, I want to go get a drink with my guys. And next thing you know, you're at a bar you shouldn't be at. And these are young guys. So you can't blame them for wanting to live the experience of the NFL lifestyle, much like you can't really complain about the college kids that go to these ragers and parties and want to enjoy college life. It is what it is. And that's where the problems occur. I have been watching with great excitement. There was a scrimmage of the Rams. Of course, the Rams first glimpse of a completed SoFi stadium, the Los Angeles Rams. Really what a beautiful facility. This is as much as I love Allegiant uh, field in Las Vegas. This one is also a special place. If you get a chance today, Google SoFi Stadium, home of the Los Angeles Rams, an absolute beautiful stadium. It's one that uh, definitely needs to really be on the radar of something you want to do in terms of seeing an actual stadium. Of course, the one I want to see the most is Allegiant Stadium. As Mark Davis, the owner, had the team in over the weekend. They had a big practice, and he said, hey, remember those three key words, keep just Win, baby, of course, uh, Al Davis, the one that coined those words, he said, of course, those three words are always here. They've got a, uh, a torch there with Al Davis that's going to be a continual torch that's going to be lit there. And, of course, he's trying to develop that home field advantage for the Raiders. It's going to be something unique, of course, a team that's been in Oakland, they've been in Los Angeles, and now they end up in Las Vegas. You feel bad for the Raiders fans, but this stadium is state-of-the-art. Billion-dollar stadiums, it seems like that's the wave of the future, a situation there that we're going to keep monitoring. But you have to give Mark Davis all the credit in the world for building something that is a destination standpoint, is someplace that people are going to want to go. And he's hoping that they have such a home field advantage. They have the black hole, of course. It's been in Oakland. It's a situation that you're looking at and you say, hey, we want to have the same success here. And we want to make sure that this is a dominant home field deal in terms of what's happening with the overall home advantage for those Raiders because they've got some exciting things happening there. And absolutely everything you see with that the Legion Stadium is something exciting there, and it's something that you don't want to miss if you're a fan. So right now you got some key things out there. You've got the false positive situation. You've got the Earl Thomas situation. You've got players out there. So far, everything seems to be going very well for the NFL. And right now, if they're going to have a false positive outbreak situation, it's now is the time to go through this because it's a situation where you want to make sure you work out all the kinks, all the bugs now before the regular season starts. You don't want this to happen anytime soon as far as the season. What's your take on this? 804-327-0888. Are you confident of the NFL season being played without a majority of issues arising in terms of the COVID-19 situation? Do you think it's going to happen? I do want to let you know in my reporting on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I've been following them, watching highlights of them. I can let you know this. My folks down there in Tampa have let me know uh, that are there on the sidelines. This is really looking good. I told you 
All you fantasy fans, this will be the number one scoring team, in my opinion, inside that red zone. So if you want a lot of uh, success in terms of your fantasy team, get on this Buccaneers offense. The reason is you got uh, Godwin, Evans, Gronkowski, and you've got Shady McCoy right now. And Shady McCoy is really, they say, getting in sync with Tom Brady down there in Tampa. And the question is, which I got over the weekend, do I still feel that the Jolly Roger will be firing off those cannons? I think it's going to be going a tremendous amount of firing down there because of the red zone offense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you got TB12, who is orchestrating the whole deal. So don't be surprised when they go off the charts. And they have been practicing a lot. So if you're looking at teams out there, as Ben Madeline said earlier about the success of Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, and the cohesiveness of their teams is, and Joe Gibbs and all the folks behind the scenes that have really prepared their team for the COVID-19 situation, look at Tom Brady and the time he's put in. And you've heard about Tom Brady doing the extra side work and everything he has to try to get his timing down. He's coming in this on a mission. So when you see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers early in the year, week one, two, three, really proficient down in that red zone and really clicking on offense, you can look back to what he's done this summer in terms of the preparation, in terms of the work, in terms of all the unification aspect of that Tampa Bay offense. I think without question, they're going to be dominant because you've got the three the X, Y, and Z receivers, of course, you got your X and, and Evans, you got your Y and Gronkowski and your Z and Godwin. So you've got height over to the left, height in a jumping ability with speed. You've got Gronkowski, who's just an absolute brute, who's going to mug you down low. And then you get the speedy Godwin to the outside. Oh, and if that's not enough, out of the backfield, you get Shady McCoy as a, as a re- relief valve, if you will, for Tom Brady. So he's got so many weapons at his disposal. The key is, do they have enough in terms of giving him the protection he needs to do what he needs to do in the red zone? So that's going to be my situation in terms of what I'm looking at the most. Will Brady have protection in terms of the folks out there who are uh, basically being paid a lot of money to make sure he stays upright? If they can do that, I think this Buccaneer team, while I'm not saying Super Bowl, I'm not going down that road. Many people in Tampa are saying that already. I'm not going there. But I do know this will be a markedly improved team because last year with Jameis Winston, of course, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, and they were in a lot of ball games and should have won a lot more than they did. Bruce Arians pulled out the last bit of hair he has over Jameis Winston. And the looks that he would give him coming off the field was like, why did you do that? You know, What are you doing? And it just drove him crazy. Now you throw in a guy that is a league MVP, Super Bowl winner, six Super Bowls under his belt, and he's in sync with Bruce Arians and an offense he's excited about. And you can hear Brady say it best when he said, hey, Bruce Arians is a guy from an offensive standpoint I'm in sync with. I've never been around an offensive guy. This is going to be great for me, a situation that he's happy about. You see that there's a pep in his step that hasn't been there in terms of excitement and smiling and enjoying the job. I think Brady's going to enjoy winning now more than he ever has before because he's with a coach that is going to also enjoy it because there's going to be a situation where he's with somebody that really gets it offensively. And I think Arians and Tom Brady will be a formidable duo this year we keep our eye on. Elsewhere in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins have joined the list of teams limiting capacity to their home openers. And this is something I like because some of these teams like Lincoln Financial and the Washington football team and the G-Men and the Jets, of course, uh, in New York have said, 
we're not going to have fans, period. I don't like that. I like the fact that they're trying. Some teams are going to try it. And the Miami Dolphins have joined the list of teams limiting capacity for their home openers. The team announced this morning that Hard Rock Stadium will host a maximum of 13,000 fans. All spectators will be required to wear a mask. Other social distancing and safety-related protocols will also be put in place, including a no-tailgating policy. So that sucks. Let's be honest about it. We all like to tailgate and have fun. The Dolphins kick off their home slate week two, September 20th, versus Buffalo Bills. They said when we started the process back in March of exploring what a socially distanced stadium could look like, we made the health and safety of everyone a first priority, knowing that if we felt we couldn't make it, we wouldn't have fans, said Miami Dolphins Vice Chairman and CEO Tom Garfinkel. We're happy that our elected officials recognize the attention to detail and diligence we put into creating a safe environment, and they made the decision to move forward with a 13,000-capacity stadium at this time. Dolphin season ticket holders will have first priority, and uh, this is based on tickets uh, and their tenure in terms of who's had tickets the longest. Season ticket members will also have the option to roll their 2020 payments to 2021. So they're trying to work with the season ticket holders. So that's a good thing. Now, the situation is you're not going to be able to have more than 13,000 fans in Miami, but, and that's fine. It's almost like it's a bad team and it's just a, you know, finish out a year and you've only got scattered fans, but at least there's fans there that can actually jump up and down. And to be honest with you, I would love to be at a ball game with 13,000 people spread out and just jump up and down and be excited and have some semblance of normalcy. The only problem is for me, I do not like the mask. I know we have to wear a mask and I adhere to those policies, but folks, if I have the choice of sitting in a stadium, unless I'm covering it on the sidelines for the media, if I have a choice and you say, Hey, do you want to sit in the stands for three hours, watch your favorite team play with a mask or stay at home without a mask and watching your basement or your family room or wherever you watch your ball game, I'm opting for the ability to watch it without a mask. It just, for me, would be more enjoyable to have a beverage, have your favorite uh, chips or whatever food you eat, to tailgate at home, enjoy the game, and do it that way for the foreseeable future. I love the fact that they're going to be fans. I don't love the fact that you have to wear a mask for the three hours. Now, it's something you have to do, and you have to accept that as part of the deal. Some people don't want to do that for three hours. Some people hate that. Uh, anytime they have to wear a mask, they want to stop as soon as they can and get the mask off and basically start uh, breathing clean air again and not wearing the mask because, of course, prolonged mask wearing, uh, who knows? I mean, the science of it and how good it is over a period of time. Some people say, hey, it's not great. And, of course, there's some you know studies behind that, but it's a situation for three hours in the hot sun. If you want to sit out and watch your favorite team, I applaud you for doing that. You are a true fan. I'm just saying, for me, it's not a good deal. I'm not going to sit there for three hours, but it's one of those situations where to each his own. Going to take a time out, come back, uh, final half hour of the Sports King Show, and your phone calls, 804-327-0888. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is two-time Super Bowl champion cornerback Perry Williams from the New York Football Giants, and you're listening to my great friend Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Hi, sports fans. It's the Sports King for the Podiatry Center of renowned foot doctor, Dr. Paul Ross. Dr. Ross is an expert who develops individual game plans for the sole purpose of getting his patients back to 100% as quickly as possible. In my case, I wore soft casts, hard casts. I was in pain and I saw no relief. 
that is, until Dr. Ross came to the rescue. He restored my foot to the way it was originally, and he gave me the quality of life I so desperately wanted to return to. He can do the same for you. He has state-of-the-art techniques and strategies to ensure your pain and issues become a thing of the past. If you've tried the rest, do yourself a favor and now try the best. Call today. Two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Want to race the sports king? Call 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Learn it. Know it. Live it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Monday morning edition of the Sports King. Thank you for joining me, Facebook Live and Sports 106.1. We were talking to start the show about the false positives. We also delved into the Earl Thomas situation, the mercurial safety for formerly of the Legion of Boom, now of the Baltimore Ravens, where he was let go over the weekend after punching a fellow teammate. Now the scuttlebutt around the league is where will he end up? Here are some of the teams that may want to sign Earl Thomas. The Chargers, of course, he has a tie with Gus Bradley there, who was with the Seahawks, so that could be somewhere he could land. Basically, Anthony Lynn and GM Tom Telesco don't seem particularly inclined to make a drastic move, but they could potentially sign Earl Thomas. The Raiders, of course, Mike Mayock isn't afraid to make bold acquisitions. He may go out to try to get Thomas. Of course, um, you're looking at a guy that is a can be a knucklehead. We know that, but a guy that's a tough guy too and uh, fits right into that Raiders bad boy image situation. Uh, Mayock may have to go out and talk to him and see if he will come in and fit into the overall Raiders theme which you know shouldn't be a hard stretch for thomas but a situation nonetheless we'll keep our eye on the raiders could be a spot the patriots bill belichick of course belichick is lost some players due to the COVID 19 opt-out situation uh he of course had ed reed and guys like that that he was fond of through the years and he admired from afar i think he likes thomas and i think he'd be the kind of coach that could probably corral thomas and make him play the right way and do things the right way, the Patriot way. Belichick would have a sit down with him and that could be a workable situation. I don't think the shenanigans would happen in new England that happened in, of course, Baltimore. We'll see about that, but the Patriots having lost players might be in the market for Thomas. Of course, he could reunite, reunite with his former teammate, Richard Sherman and the Legion of boom member, of course, uh, as they were both Legion of boom members in the Bay area with Richard Sherman. He knows Robert Chalet's cover three scheme. There might be a situation where it could work for them. The 49ers have been probably the most active team out there in terms of signing players. They are all in for 2020, 2021 folks make no mistake about the Niners. They feel like they should have won last year and they have added depth and they've added talent and they had a good draft and they feel like they're going to do it again So keep your eyes on the 49ers who are all in this year to make it happen. Another team that Earl Thomas might land with, the Houston Texans. Of course, uh, the Texans could be a situation where 
Justin Reed and Earl Thomas would make a promising safety tandem. And you're looking at uh, they already handed Eric Murray an $18 million deal the offseason. Bill O'Brien might not be the kind of guy that wants to bring a veteran in, a guy that's a little bit of a problem, could be a problem. He had enough problems, of course, uh, in the situation trading his top wide receiver away. So you wonder what he would do with an Earl Thomas situation. I just don't think that's a very good fit there. The Buccaneers could be a surprising fit. Of course, you had a lot of veterans, and he'd have to fall in there and basically be one of the guys and one of the key pieces to help uh, lead the Buccaneers to somewhere maybe beyond an initial playoff run. The defense front seven is formidable, but the back end is very, very suspect in terms of Tampa Bay. They ranked 30th in passing yards allowed, 270.1 last year. The salary cap situation might be prohibitive as the Buccaneers have a league low $2.39 million available right now. So if they want Thomas, that's one thing, but right now financially they can't afford him. That's the situation there. In Atlanta, the Falcons could be a team that uh, could be uh, you know, all in on Thomas. Dan Quinn is well acquainted with his ability and demeanor. Beyond that, uh, Quinn and general manager Thomas Dimitrov also have ample motivation for bringing in a defensive stalwart, given that their unclear situation after two seven and nine campaigns. Atlanta is in clear need of reinforcements to slow the likes of Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Consistently, Thomas is a substantial short-term upgrade if he can keep his head on his shoulders. So that's another situation we'll keep our eye on there. It could be the Falcons. The number one landing spot for Earl Thomas appears to be the Dallas Cowboys. He has made no bones about the fact that he wants to play in Dallas. The South Orange, Texas native has uh, talked back to 2017, as you recall. Remember when he talked to Jason Garrett after a game and he said, come get me? Nearly three years later, the timing might financially be right for both sides, and it might finally be right for both sides. Though the Cowboys have signed Packers and Bears safety, ha-ha, Clinton Dix, formerly of the Washington Football Club, and also they return Xavier Woods at the other starting spot. Thomas and his ball-hawking tendencies would no doubt aid a defense that tied for a league-low seven interceptions last season. So when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, you see what adding Earl Thomas could do in terms of upgrading that defensive backfield. You've got a guy now that's a ball hawk that will definitely force fumbles and interceptions, and Thomas wants to play there. He wants to go home to his Texas roots. Jerry Jones refused to give up substantial draft capital to land Jamal Adams, so he now has a relatively low-cost avenue for bringing another star safety back to Dallas. So when you look at the Cowboys, they could be a great fit, but you don't know if they will make the move because of the team harmony aspect. You'd have to have Jerry Jones sit down with him and say, listen, if we bring you in, this has got to be tied to the way you conduct yourself on the personal side. So that's going to be the rub there with the Cowboys. Can this guy come in and do what's right, or will he be a disruptor in the locker room? Those are things only Earl Thomas can answer, and he's got to have an answer for these GMs and head coaches he's going to be meeting with or he will not be back in the league for the foreseeable future. You think he will be playing? I hope he'll be playing. But once again, it's got to be with a caveat that he's got to do things the right way. What's your take on Earl Thomas? Do you want him on your team? 804-327-0888, 804-327-0888. 
is the number. We'd love to hear from you on the Earl Thomas situation. Uh, there are NFL teams. We all know the training camps have uh, started as far as the upcoming NFL season. We know it's going to be exciting. Uh, we do know that there's some top players, uh, 200 players overall, that have been listed as far as fantasy must-haves. The number one player on the board is Christian McCaffrey, the running back from Carolina. Saquon Barkley's at number two. Ezekiel Elliott, number three from Dallas. Michael Thomas, the great receiver from New Orleans, number four. Alvin Kamara, teammate at number five, the running back. Devontae Adams, the wide receiver for Green Bay, number six. Running back Derrick Henry, what a run he had last year with Tennessee, number seven. Dalvin Cook, the running back out of Florida State for Minnesota, number eight. Aaron Jones is the Green Bay running back. He's at number nine. And number 10, you wouldn't think this, but uh, so far it's quarterback Lamar Jackson. That's your first quarterback in terms of overall uh, talent on that top 200 list. So uh, the fantasy aspect is something that we're going to keep our eye on as well as things are getting underway. There has been all kinds of situations developing in terms of the college and pro games. We do know Notre Dame wonders if they're going to be able to continue its football program. They definitely have hit pause. You're wondering what's happening with all these teams looking for teams to play, how it's going to work out. We just don't know right now. And you wonder, uh, Notre Dame uh, has a November 27th football opponent in North Carolina, which announced it has suspended all athletic activities through at least Thursday of last week, uh, citing the continuing upward trend of uh, the positive COVID-19 cases. You wonder with North Carolina having the issues they have and Notre Dame and all these other teams having issues, just how disruptive this situation is going to be for the folks out there saying we're going to play a season come hell or high water. You know, you look at Dabo Swinney saying, hey, we're going to be playing and we're going to win it all. If we win it all, we should be national champs. There should be no asterisk. You know, we're the team that won it all. But you have to look at it this way. If you have no Big Ten, you have no Pac-12, and they're on your schedule, you're not winning games against teams that are quality opponent. Maybe they're fill-ins of lesser opponents. So how can you basically say, yeah, we are still the champs because that's who we played. But the situation is this season is so disjointed right now on the surface. And, you know, they're an outbreak away from canceling another league. You never know. It's just kind of an ongoing thing. Yesterday we heard some things about some pharmaceuticals, some blood plasma aspects that they're going to try to implement to try to, you know, solve some situations. But we still are waiting for the magic pill, if you will, to try to get the situation under control. We need something and we need it quickly to try to get sports back without all the risk associated. Right now, it's just too up and down. We just don't know. What's your take? 804-327-0888. Do you think we're going to make it through and have any kind of quality college football season, will you be watching? Many of you have texted me saying, if it's not all teams, I don't want to see it because it just doesn't make sense. I understand that point of view. You know, people want to see college football and the pageantry, but, you know, many of these schools won't have fans. So, I mean, therein lies another issue. The NFL is looking at having fans in the stands, albeit smaller groups like the Miami Dolphins with 13,000. Then you got the Philadelphia Eagles with nobody, the Washington football team with nobody. So you wonder who is going to be able to go to these games, who will go to these games, and what the situation is going to be like in terms of attendance. But then you wonder on the TV side, the NFL money is so extreme on the TV side 
There is no way, no way, in my opinion, the NFL will not try to have a season due to the fact that the ownership does not want to miss out on the TV money. It's just too extreme, and that's one of the biggest reasons. Now, think about this. People have asked me, how can they make money if there's no fans in the stands? And that's a big part of the overall aspect of the pie that the owners get. But the biggest part is of the TV rights money. And if you have the games go off and they get their TV money, which is into the billions of dollars, these guys are going to make money. Make no mistake about it. But they do want the fans in the stands. They want people to eat the food, drink the drink, wear the merchandise, all of that. And when you have 13,000 people in a stadium, it doesn't quite uh, cut the mustard in that regard. So they have to have the TV money, which is essential to the success of the NFL. That's where they're going with this in terms of getting the season off and running because they want to make sure that they do indeed get that TV money, which is so vital to all of their success. So that's the situation there in terms of that. And it's something that we're going to keep our eye on because when you look at it as a, in a total aspect, you're just kind of sitting there like, okay, I'm biting my nails. I'm hoping for the best, wishing for the best, praying for the best, but I'm not sure because the NFL has had these false positives and you got these issues and you're just wondering if they're going to be able to pull this off. The NBA, to their credit, and we've given them credit on this program, Adam Silver and that group has done an amazing job. Now they've tried to spice it up with the fans in the stands, which I kind of like that look with the electronic scoreboards, if you will, and the electronic boards with the players there, uh, with the people behind them. You can see some excitement. You hear the crowd noise. And, of course, you have Mike Breen doing calls that are so exciting. So they're trying to do everything they can to keep you engaged. But we do understand it's a challenge. The NFL, we wonder what's going to happen there. Will they have fans in the stands in terms of, cardboard cutouts in between live people. We don't know what's going to look like, but we do know the NFL is going to try their hand at doing this any way they can to make sure there's a season that we can enjoy somehow, some way. And folks, here's the deal. No preseason. So when I say to you, your team has a pretty good shot, it may have a pretty good shot because we don't know. You know, how many times have we looked at teams and say, hey, what a great preseason. Are they really hitting on all cylinders? Are they doing so well? Right now, it'll probably be four or five weeks into the season until you start seeing teams really gelling and doing well, unless you're like a Tampa Bay, and maybe because they've had the extra practice time, they're really firing all cylinders. But you're going to have to look at your team in that first four weeks and say, what kind of team do I have? Who are these new guys? Who are these guys I've never heard from? And you wonder how your team's going to gel because you won't have any preseason to speak of. This is going to hurt a lot of players. The rookies that are trying to find a job will have less time to impress somebody. The undrafted free agents, the same way. It's going to be a hodgepodge of guys that are going to be playing football that they're going to try in those first four to five weeks to determine who are those guys on the fringe. Can they help our team, or do we have to look elsewhere? Because right now there is no preseason. Uh, the practice squad, the time in pads, all those things factor into this. And right now with limited practice time in pads, it's going to be very interesting to see how these coaches evaluate their players and the draft picks. You wonder, if you're a late-round draft pick, how much time do you have to make an impression? All you have is right now the practice field because you don't have any preseason games. So this is really crushing to those guys that are on the fringe that don't know if they're going to make the team or not because of the limited opportunity to do so. If they don't turn somebody's head in practice, 
odds are they're not going to make it to opening day, and that's a sad thing. That's why I hope the NFL would have gone to at least two games in terms of having a practice session of preseason games to give somebody an opportunity to make the team that may otherwise not have. So that's my take. What's yours? 804-327-0888. I'm going to take our final time out, come back, close it out. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, this is Andre Collins, former Washington Redskin and Super Bowl champ. You're listening to Jamie King on the Sports King Sports 106.1. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's summer, and this year, everyone's looking for a reason to get out of the house. Well, here's a great one. The Honda Summer Clearance Event. Get APR financing as low as 0.9%, plus our lowest prices of the year on new 2019 and 2020 Hondas. Can't get out? We'll bring our dealership to you with CMA's Easy Purchase. Just visit cmacars.com and do the entire buying process online. CMA's Colonial Honda. Moving lives forward. On select models with approved credit through 831-2020. Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. You're listening to a man whose yoga instructor asked him how flexible he was, and he replied that he couldn't do Tuesdays. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back. Hour two of the Sports King Facebook Live, Sports 1061. How was your weekend? I hope you had a great weekend wherever you are. I can tell you, probably, on good authority, that your weekend, no matter how great, wasn't as great as one Dustin Johnson. He won the Northern Trust. He didn't just win the Northern Trust. He obliterated the Northern Trust 30 under, taking home $1.7 million in the process. He capped off a dominant week at the Northern Trust with an 8 under 63 on Sunday, finishing with a tap in birdie in the dark following a long storm delay for an 11 shot victory at TPC Boston. It was the largest margin of victory since Phil Mickelson went by 13 at TPC Sugarloaf in 2006. The best I've ever seen him look, said Claude Harmon III, Johnson's swing coach, as he stood off the 18th green that was partially illuminated by the video board that flashed the scores of the astounding feat. Johnson, unlike Ben Maitland and myself, hit every green in regulation on Sunday, and he missed only three greens over the last 54 holes. Think about this for a second. How good was he? He only missed three greens in his final 54 holes? Talk about dialed in. His final 50... His final 54 holes were rounds of 60, 64, 63. Johnson finished at 30 under, 254, making him only the third player in PGA Tour history to finish at 30 under or better. He missed the record by just one shot set by Ernie Els in 2003 at Kapalua. Jordan Spieth also was 30 under at Kapalua in 2016. Johnson at least holds the record on the mainland. He went on to say, I knew I was playing well. I knew the guys were going to shoot low. I was just trying to get to 30 under. I've never shot 30 under in four rounds, just something I wanted to do. That was about the only competition he faced. Unbelievable. So when you look at the scoreboard, Harris English, 19 under, 11 shots back. An incredible performance by 
uh, a guy in Dustin Johnson, when you look at what he's done, and, uh, of course, only Tiger Woods has had more PGA Tour victories over the past 15 seasons than DJ. When you look at this, Woods has 36. Don't look now, but second place, Dustin Johnson, 22. In this tournament, he had a run of one uh, one string of 11 under after 11 holes. I mean, the guy was just killing it, and he did an amazing job in terms of this tournament so dustin johnson as we head towards the fall here in november with the masters hey he's one of those guys you got to circle and say the way he's playing if he can continue with the swing plane and the thing he's doing the big thing with him is consistency week to week when he's dialed in and he's playing his best he's unbeatable he absolutely is unbeatable he can drive it as far as anybody hitting greens and he's hitting them in regulation He's not up and down. He's doing some really big things. So that was the situation over the weekend with Dustin Johnson. Congratulations to him for winning the Northern Trust. We now want to turn back to headquarters, Sports King headquarters, with Ben Maitland, who's got the look at yesterday's Major League Baseball scoreboard and all the happenings there. Here's Ben. Thank you again, Jamie. And good morning to you again. Yeah, just a rundown quickly here of what happened around the league yesterday, uh, yesterday being Sunday. We'll start in the nation's capital there with your uh, your Washington Nationals and the defending World Series champion Washington Nationals. I know you're fond of saying that. Thank you, Ben. Yep. I, I, anytime I'll set them up, you knock them down. Um, <laughs> and Paul Sanchez coming away with the win in that game. Uh, the Nationals winners in that game, 9-3, to three, uh, improving to 11-14, and 14, still three games under 500 here in the shortened season. The Marlins right at 500 at 11-11. 11. Moving on to Baltimore, Red Sox, Orioles. The Orioles win again. They're right at 500 and have opened opened a few eyes so far this season. It's they've went on um, a pretty good stretch there about a week or so ago, and have played good baseball. They're at 14 and 14 and uh, in a better position than a lot of people would have pegged them to be at this point. Even again in a 60 game season, beating the Red Sox, the hapless, really bad Red Sox. The Red Sox dropped to nine and 20. Orioles winners in that game five to four. Uh, Tigers over Indians seven four. In Cleveland yesterday, Indians now at 17 and 11, Tigers at 11 and 15. They had ended uh, ended a, a long skid of their own. They had lost I think eight or nine games in a row. Detroit had, and finally kind of got off the um, the uh, the merry-go-round yesterday, winning again in Cleveland 7-4 over the Indians. Blue Jays and Rays yesterday, Rays 5-4 winners, improving to 19 and 10 on the season, and coming off of a sweep. Um, Tampa was uh, just a few days ago over their division rival, New York Yankees. Very impressive sweep in New York. And then picking up a win yesterday against the Blue Jays. Blue Jays at 13-13, again, Tampa at 19-10. and 10. Uh, The Pittsburgh Pirates stopped the presses. A sweep of the Milwaukee Brewers Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Pirates have not played well, and it's well documented that they have not played that well uh, here in 2025. Four winners yesterday over the Brewers. Brewers dropping to 11-15 and 15 and kind of fading in the National League Central have not looked good and again looked uh, quite bad in that in that sweep at the hands of the Pirates over the weekend Twins 5-4 winners over the Royals Twins improving to 19 and 10 in the American League Central uh, St. Louis Cardinals winners over the Reds yesterday Cardinals winning that game 6-2 St. Louis trying to get back in the swing of things they are 9 and 8 have only played 17 games and were a week before the trade deadline because of course due to the coronavirus issues that they had Cincinnati dropping to 11 and 15 in the National League Central. Um, Crosstown series there in Chicago yesterday. You Darvish with a uh, great outing, only gave up one home run, I believe, to Jose Abreu of the White Sox. Cubs beating their Crosstown rivals, the White Sox, two to one. 
Darvish improving to 5-1 and one on the season with a 1.70 ERA. Has pitched extremely well and has looked like the year Darvish of old. The Dodgers keep on trucking 22-8 and eight now this season. Best record in the National League by far. Hit seven home runs yesterday in that game at Dodger Stadium. Two by Mookie Betts. Again, to improve to 22-8. 11-3 win over the Rockies. A's, the first American League team to get to 20 wins this season, improving to 20-9. and nine. Five four winners over the Angels. The Angels dropped to nine and twenty, not firing off this season for Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, a new addition, Shohei Otani. It comes down to pitching more often than not with Anaheim, and they have not been able to really string much together. Again, nine and twenty on the season for the Angels, twenty and nine reverse records there for Oakland. Uh, Padres five three winners, completing I believe a sweep of the Astros. So you know, break up the Padres, hitting uh, I think what five or six grand slams this week. Slam Diego, as it's now being referred to, they are 18 and 12, and would qualify, I believe, for the playoffs if they started today there in the National League West. Five three winners over the Astros, Giants six one winners over the D-backs yesterday in San Francisco. Uh, Mariners dropping the Rangers. Both teams not playing well right now. Four uh, one Seattle over Texas yesterday, and then your nightcap on Sunday night baseball. Phillies hanging on, albeit by a play at the plate, in the ninth inning over Atlanta. Five four winners over the Braves. Uh, Freddie Freeman doubled there in the bottom of the ninth inning and scored the fourth run for Atlanta. Dansby Swanson thrown out at the plate by Philly to end the game yesterday in Sunday night baseball. And, of course, Yankees-Mets postponed because of coronavirus concerns for the Mets. And, Jamie, I'll throw it back to you with a look at what's going to go on today. Well, I remember telling you and everybody else listening to the show about pitchers and my biggest concern about this season being uh, so fast put together and worrying about the shortened season and shortened workouts and everything leading up to the season. And there was uh, an article written by David Schoenfeld from ESPN. He said, are more pitchers getting hurt, factoring that teams may be playing it more cautiously this year? The answer is the definitive yes. 2018, 43 players as far as pitchers were placed on IR, on the IL in the first 31 days of the season, compared to 2019 with 51, this year, 98 so far, not including 20 for the coronavirus, have been placed on the IL through the first 31 days of the season, which is something that really should raise some eyebrows in terms of making sure you protect these players. Real quick, in terms of today's uh, rundown for Major League Baseball, uh, these are games real quick. Blue Jays at Rays, 310. Marlins at the Nationals at 605. Uh, Twins at the Indians, 7-10. Cubs at the Tigers, 7-10. Athletics at the Rangers, 8-05. Reds take on the Brewers, that one at Miller Park, 8-10. Kansas City Royals at the Cardinals, 8-15. Angels at the Asterisk at 9-10. Closing out today's action is going to be the Rockies at the Diamondbacks, and that game will be in 9-30. And I know Ben's not happy about, about this, but Yankee star Aaron Judge said he's ready to go. The outfielder will be activated off the 10-day injured list for the right calf strain for the Yankees. Two-game series against Ben Maitland's Atlanta Braves, which starts on Tuesday. So a situation, Ben, not too happy. Bring them on, you know. Take a a few more days off, Aaron. Take a few more days (laughs) off. Give Ben's uh, Braves an even bigger chance of winning. Anyway, that's going to wrap her up for this edition of the Sports King on this Monday. We want to thank you, of course, the big news of the day, the false positives with the NFL. Of course, where is Earl Thomas going to end up? Uh, could be the Dallas Cowboys. They could be the front runner. We don't know for sure, but we do know we had an exciting weekend of sports, and it's good to see things starting to get back 
in more of a normal way, still hoping for a pharmaceutical, something to come about so we can get everything back the way it used to be. And folks, I know I'm not alone when I say when it does all come back, we pray it does. We're going to love it and enjoy it and embrace it more than we ever have collectively before. And I tell you what, we're all grateful for every little bit of sports we have and we thank all of you for joining us facebook live sports 1061 my thanks to ben malin who always does an outstanding job before behind the glass for ben i'm jamie have a great rest of your monday and we'll see you tomorrow for the tuesday edition of the sports king show on sports 1061